Episode 149 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the American comedian, writer and actress Rita Rudner. Rita began her career as a dancer on Broadway before turning to stand-up comedy. She made her network television debut on Late Night with Letterman in 1982, made numerous appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and a variety of HBO specials. My interview with her took place in London in 1990, when she had her own self-titled series on BBC TV, co-written with her English husband, Martin Bergman. Is it like the culmination of ambitions for you? Is it a major... I don't think culmination ever really comes into into the picture until you're dead, and then you've culminated (laughs) because you can't do anything else. It's another step, and I'm real happy with it because... Before I, I did stand-up, I've been doing stand-up for 10 years, and before I did that I was on Broadway for 10 years, you know, doing plays and singing and dancing on Broadway and stuff. And this is something that's new. Like when I first started stand-up, I loved it. I still love it, but it was such a challenge because I had no idea how to do it. You know, I had to figure it out, and it was fun learning every step of the way. And now I've been doing it for 10 years, and I want to, like, continue on with the process. And this is fun because I've never tried to, I mean, these are the first sketches, you know, that I've ever written and the first reports I've done from Los Angeles and the first time I've tried to do, like, husband and wife sketches, you know, with with my husband and going back to singing some of the songs that are my favorite songs from off-Broadway shows and Broadway shows that we've been able to pick out. It's fun, and to put together half an hour of entertainment was was really fun. So you're satisfied with the end product? Yeah, 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 and I really like the... The fact, I think week to week, we use the same format week to week, so it's not just a mishmash of, well, we'll just throw these things up and hope one of them is funny. We have like a format that we do every week where, you know, it starts with stand-up and then in the middle there's a report from L.A., at the end there's a sketch with my husband and then there's the song and then there's questions. So it's like, it is a little formatted half hour and I think it kind of builds each week. So I'm, I'm really happy with it. I love it. Would you say it's um, like an American view of England? Is that how you, you could generalize? Or can't you generalize? Is it so varied? It's very varied. I think an American view of England comes into play because I'm an American living in England. But I think it's got a real English flavor because my husband's English and I have spent lots of time here and I do have you know family here. So you know, England isn't exactly a foreign country to me. When I get off the plane, I don't go, Ooh, I'm in England. It's, well, what, what's going to happen here? I go, oh, good, I'm back in England again. So it's coming from that viewpoint rather than where am I? What we don't hesitate or I don't hesitate to do is make fun of America because I think it's a pretty silly place. Like the, in our second week, Stephen Fry is in it and he plays an American executive telling how the America is going to ruin the World Cup in 1994, <laughs> which I expect that they will. So there's always... I think there's a little bit of sense of humor about being an American and about how, see, I shouldn't say how terrible Americans can be, but how 
you can't really figure out their motives, why they're doing what they're doing. They're a little bit strange sometimes in American mentality. So it's more, in fact, it sounds like you're seeing it from America from an English point of view rather than... I think it could. Well, I think there's both. There's yeah. both things in there. But I definitely can see America as a foreign country too. Right. Because I'm not there all the time and I have no understanding of, of the people there and why they're doing what they're right. doing. Tricky for me there. Let me just establish the seven. So you're actually living in England now. We've stop. been here. No, we've been here for three months. We've lived here right. for three months now. Now we're going back to America, and we're going to live there for a while. But then we're also going to Australia for three months because my husband is connected to a business uh, company there, and we right. we're doing a movie there in January. So. So I mean, is America long term going to be the home for you, or are you looking in England, or just depend on how your career goes? It depends. It depends on. Yeah. I mean. We love living here. It's it's been fun. We're not looking forward to leaving. Right. But I have a, a career in America too that I, I can't ignore. I've got a new special coming out in December, and I've got to be there to promote it and do stuff. So, so uh, but it's definitely not the only place we ever want to live. You don't have a home as such. So mm, yeah. You do. It's more. I've lived in America longer than I've lived anywhere sure, else. But sure. we travel a lot. Yeah. My biggest mortgage is in America. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's where I live. Yeah. Is your husband settling in in America quite easily, as well as you're settling in over here? Yeah, he kind of likes it, but yeah. we both like it here better. Right. But I've lived there my whole life, and my career is there, so I can't really leave. But that's why we figure if we live other places, like three to six months of the year, right. then we can still live in America. But I don't think we want to live in America year-round anymore. Right. Is it easy to gauge the comparison between your career over here and in America. I mean, I almost imagine you're even bigger over here than you are in America because America is such a vast country. That's pretty, you're pretty that correct, fair? yeah. Yeah, because in America, in order to be a household name, you have to be on television once a week between the hours of 8 and midnight, yeah. once a week. I mean, then you can become, but the way my career has been in America, I do specials, you know, like I'm on television, I'm a guest on the Carson show a lot, like five or six times a year, and I'm a guest on the Letterman show. I'm on my fifth special for HBO, which is my own hour, that's coming out in December. And I've had a, like a summer replacement series, uh, primetime on NBC, and I've been guests on lots of shows. So I'm, I'm at the stage where people, they kind of know who I am, you know, and I, get, I do get recognized and I do get stopped, but I'm not... I'm not Roseanne Barr. I mean, Roseanne Barr is on TV once a week at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock, whenever it is, and she's on the front of every magazine, and it's such a big country that that's what it takes. So it's just a question of it being easier and quicker over here to make it to something. No. Maybe that's easier and quicker, but that's not the reason I came over. The reason I came over is because it's more pleasant, and you don't make as much money here, but... The working atmosphere is so nice. I mean, the BBC, it was a dream because, we, you know, my husband and I wrote the show and we submitted the scripts and they approved them and they said, oh, these are funny, let's do these. And in America, I've, I've done my own TV pilot in America that I wrote, that didn't sell, that I wrote with my husband. And I mean, the executives that wanted it changed were endless and for stupid reasons. And I got rewritten by people who'd never not only never written a joke in their life, never said anything funny at a party, you know, and they were rewriting my script for stupid reasons. And so 
it's not a pleasant working atmosphere, which is the, the problem with America. They dangle like large sums of money in front of you, but in between you and the money is hell. Yeah. So it's, it's a hard thing to want to do. Like, I have a company developing a sitcom for me now in America, and they, they wanted me to sign their development deals and their holding contracts, but they're five years. You have to sign for five years. I don't know if I want to do something for five years. I mean, in, in England, you get to do six shows, and, and if people like seven. them, then you get to do six more shows. I think yeah. it's a much more civilized way to work. And also, in America, television is driven by advertising, you know, that has to appeal to kids between 8 to 12, or 12 to 22, or 22 to 42, because they're selling cars, or they're selling sodas, or they're selling washing powder. So whatever you do and has to be dictated by an advertising budget that needs to be sold for that particular time slot. So it's never really what's funny, what can we put on TV that's funny, it's how can we sell cars and soap powder and soda. And it's just not a pleasant way to work, I like it here. Is it difficult to accept as an American that you're better known over here? No, I, I'm happy that my humour works here, you know, I, I work lots in Australia too. And I like working there too. I just think it's keeping me keeping me sane to get out of America once or twice a year and live in in different countries because it's it's so competitive, and nothing there is really based on how good you are or how talented you are. It's based on everything else. So it it gets to you after a while. It's based on who your manager is and what deals they can piggyback and what it, it's just a whole different way of dealing. Do you feel like you've got like a, a circus act, you're keeping the plates spinning and having to rush back to America to keep that one spinning? It's almost that here. way, but I like doing it if I didn't, I mean, I really prefer doing it this way. I mean, I love the fact that that I know things about other countries, like I love French and Saunders, I love Victoria Wood, you know, I love Griffiths Jones and Mel Smith and Rowan Atkinson and the Black, you know, like I've got a whole different frame of humor that I know, that I enjoy, and I love that I, a lot of people in America don't know that. I think it expands my horizons as a writer and a performer to know different styles of humor and not just be stuck with American humor. I was wondering if perhaps your appreciation of British humor helps you to be appreciated by the British. Do you see what I mean? Uh, You're well, so aware it, of what the British need. It could, well, I think that because of we, all, we watch like Fry and Laurie, I mean they're another, I just think they're wonderful. And uh, we watch all their shows on A&E in America and we're very in tune because my husband used to write for Not the Nine O'Clock News oh, yeah. and Alas Smith and Jones and stuff. So I really think it makes me a better comedian that I, I know different, different styles of humor coming from different countries. Yeah. How do you see yourself going from here, though? I mean, is this the TV series a steady progression from stand-up comedy to the microphone? Is that something you want to put behind you now and move on to? No, I love doing stand-up. It scares right. me a little that I have to. I do have to write a whole new act now because I, I've done a big hour special in America, and that's all of my latest material. And I still have some material I haven't used in Britain yet, but. I want to do a, a little bit of a different style in stand-up, and I, I've got to invent it because I don't know what style it is that I want to do yet. Yeah. So I'm going on the road for a little bit when I get back to America and um, kind of looking around and seeing what else I'm going to talk about now. When you say style, you have a very inimitable style anyway. What, do you, what exactly do you define as style? Because one imagines you 
you have this sort of everyone recognizes you immediately mm. your type of humor and everything is that something you might change your image and no i'll never be no ne not image not anything like just that just what you tell your jokes about well i've always been trying to tell stories that are comedic stories as opposed to telling jokes which right. are little teeny little poems with a punchline basically and I love jokes but I'm trying to get a different rhythm into my act where I can tell a, a story instead of telling little snippets of, of bits and stick them together so I don't think it's going to be really noticeable to anyone but me but I want to try and f get a little bit more emotion into what it is that I'm emotion and motion into what it is that I'm saying. I mean, it's just silly little technical things that will make me happy, basically. But I hope, you know, I hope it'll work. Because everyone likes to develop. You know, yeah. I don't think I, I want to be doing this act two years from now. I want to be doing a different act. Right. If you, for instance, did a show here tonight, and then you're doing one in Los Angeles tomorrow, could you do the same show? Mm, yeah, I could. I mean, there are little words I have to change here and right. there that are minute petrol for gasoline, you know, silly right. things like that. I was just in... Um, America two days ago because they booked me for this big banking convention where all the bankers from all over the world actually were coming and I did my act there and whenever I do my act at a function like that I have to kind of tailor it for that function and figure out what ages those people are what income bracket they're you know those people are coming from and what what would be the best set of jokes to do for them so I kind of tailor it to each audience but not to different countries you know it, it just depends on but the act when I did work here in and I did um, I was at Pizza on the Park for a week but the act I did here was the same as the act I do in America in nightclubs you've established that you know you, you go down very well here but I mean other people don't why do you think it is that so much difficulty with American comedians comedians coming over here some British people going over there I don't know. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy to be able to work here. Yeah. And I guess... It's just a formula that maybe you've got, which other people haven't got. Well, I learned early on when I was living in New York. That's where I started doing my act. And then when the first time I traveled out of New York, and I found if I did any New York references, nobody knew what I was talking about. So I said, well, this isn't going to be good if I can only work in New York. So I, I axed all of the jokes about the subway you know they all went because no one cared sort of I don't even remember it was so early on I, w I remember I said I had an L-shaped studio apartment and it's not a capital L that was my my first joke and you had to know what a studio apartment was right. you had to know what an L-shaped studio apartment was you had to s and then yeah. I got out of New York and people said oh what is she talking about so I said okay New York is out, and um, I started talking about life. I figured people live <laughs> different, <laughs> and you know they wake up and they have relationships, and they they all experience basically the same things during the day. So when I started talking about life, rather than talking about specific, like one of my friends said, you had to be on the corner of of my block at 3 p.m. to know what I meant when I said that joke, and that's why you didn't laugh. If I had to talk about something like that. I just didn't do it. And even if I talked about a commercial that was in one area of the country, it didn't, wasn't in another area of the country, I said, well, those are out too, because, you know, and then they go off the air, and then no one knows what you're talking about anyway, and too many people do commercials. So mm. just, there were lots of areas where I said, I don't do that. And I think that helps the fact, that, the fact that I don't ever localize or do 
humor like that helps yeah. my humor travel. Sure. And I think, as, as silly a thing as it is, but I think comedians who go to other countries, the comedians who talk slower work better because you can understand what this, because there is that little bit of a difference. So I think maybe I'm all wrong, but I think that it helps if you talk a little bit slower, mm. if you go to another country so people can actually grasp everything you're saying. Like John Cleese, who's very, very funny, he, he does speak slowly, you know. His delivery is very deliberate. Well, that's my, yeah. Yeah, that's my speech rhythm in, in right. life, which right. is how it ends up there. Mm. But then maybe I'm all wrong. Maybe that's just something that doesn't count. But I think that could mm. be something easier for uh, people in other countries to pick up. You're talking about the acceptance of American comedians, comedians, whatever, over here. Um, American people generally get quite a hard time from the British, don't you find? I mean, have you noticed that? Um, I wasn't here when Joan Rivers' show went out, but I heard that didn't go well. So but I mean, Jackie Mason went over really well, right. and he, he laid yeah. out him. I mean, sometimes when I read about myself in the paper and I hear, you know, another Yank comedian, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not... It's, it's the, that's the way they want to yeah. phrase it. It's certainly their prerogative, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I understand I'm a foreign person coming over to another country, and I hope people, you know, all I can do is do what I do, and if I hope you people are, like then, it. I mean, you're very accepted over here, and that must be quite a feeling of um, achievement in itself. Right? Uh, I hope I'm accepted. I, all I could say is I did my best. I'm real happy with the show, you know, and I. I love it here in England, and I, I hope it goes well. I think some people have accepted me, and some people haven't. So yes. hopefully, more people will accept me than don't. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I wonder how much your actual uh, image and delivery in, in in your act, because you you come across as being very shy and coy and timid, and sort mm. of almost frightened to to give out your humour. Mm. Uh, and people almost in Britain certainly would feel sympathy towards you, very, think you're very vulnerable, so therefore they want us to take you under their wing. Do you think that helps, perhaps? You know, I, I've always only been able to do it this way. Mm. And ever since I got on stage, this is what came out. You know, it was never anything that was contrived, and I said, well, I'm going to act like this because this might be the reaction mm. to that. I just said, this is, this is the way I talk, and this is the way I tell this is the rhythm that suits me, and this is the humor that I like. I mean, I love Jack Benny, and I love um, Woody Allen, and I like, I like understated humor. So that's what I, you have to do what you like to do. But I have to say, this is the one thing that sometimes the critics here that don't like me have been really much nastier than anyone in America would be. I mean, to the point where um, that gooey voice or, you know, the thing. And it's just the way I talk. You know, I can't, I can't speak another way. It's not something, it's, you know, if they don't like it, fine. But it's assuming that everyone is going to think that. Do you find people think you're putting it on then? Yeah, some people yeah. do. I mean, even in America. I think it's funny when people say, come back for an autograph or something, and say hello to me in America, and they say, um, oh my God, you really talk like that. <laughs> and I really don't, I don't hear that I speak very differently from anyone else, so I don't, I don't really know what it is that they're talking about. But some people think like the whole thing is, is put on and staged. Yeah. And it's not, when you're a comedian, you're not really an actress playing a part. You're, 
you're a person playing yourself. You've got to use yourself to be funny. So it's not, I mean, it's an exaggeration, you know, when I talk about my, you know, being boring as a child, because humor is an exaggeration, but it's, everything's pretty much based on the truth. Mm. Since you mentioned your childhood, let's, let's go straight back mm. to the start. Whereabouts initially were you from? Miami. Did you stay there for quite a long time? You still got your roots there? No. I hated it from the minute I could talk. I said, I hate this place. Why did you, why was I born here? What was wrong with it? I just didn't like it. I wanted to live in New York. My parents were from New York, and I don't know why I'd never been what to New York. Miami if your parents were from New York? They had moved down from <coughs> Miami to New York because my father said, I never want to be cold again, because right. he lived in upstate New York. Right. And he wanted to live in a place where it was warm, and he didn't like his brother's wife, and they lived in California. So he chose Miami, because <laughs> didn't have any relatives in Miami. <laughs> and he's lovely now, my father. And, um, I wanted to be from New York. I saw pictures of it, and I said, I belong in New York. What am I doing in Miami? Because I wanted to be a dancer, and I started ballet when I was four, and I wanted to be on Broadway, and there was no culture, really. In my, I was a member of the ballet company there, and I, it was a local Cuban ballet company, and I had lots of fun, and, and it was fine, but I wanted to be in show business, and there was no show business in Miami. I got into plays on Miami Beach, you know, when they did Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, and that was my first show, and I was... 14, and I used to read the papers every day to see if there were any auditions on Miami Beach that I could get my parents to take me to, and and then I moved to New York when I was 15, right. and started doing shows on Broadway. So your parents were wanting to be in Miami, you were wanting to be in New York. Yeah, they're still Did in Miami, and, and uh, they like it there, I don't like it. Did that cause quite a rift? No, no, the one thing I always had was parents who said, whatever you want to do is fine with us, and I graduated from high school when I was 15. And I wanted to be a dancer, and I had already been to New York and lived there for three months in the summer with my best friend and her mother, and she took us around to all the dancing classes, and I'd already auditioned for uh, Broadway shows and gotten callbacks. And my parents said, if you want to do that, then do that, and if you decide you want to come home and go to college, come home, and whatever you want to do is fine. So. Were your parents in showbiz at all? No. Was there anything in, Nothing. in the family? No. But did you come from a large family? Or no, just me. Really? The only mm. child? Yeah, just me. Was that difficult? No. I liked it. That's the only way I knew. Right. So I liked sure. it. Sure. Yeah, once I got very upset. I saw my father holding another baby when I was a kid. And what is that? What's going on there? That, that shouldn't be happening. Yeah. yeah. Get get rid of that. <laughs> what, were you, what were your parents involved in work-wise? My dad's a lawyer. My mother's a housewife. Right. Yeah. Is he quite a sort of big shot lawyer? Or? No, he had one ambition in life and that was never to be successful. <laughs> he was a lawyer who didn't like to argue, mm. which <laughs> is kind of unusual. <laughs> He'd be in court and they'd, uh, they'd state their case and my father would stand up and go, you got a point, I think <laughs> you should win. <laughs> so, uh, so how do they feel about your success then? They love it. I mean, it's, uh, it's great. My dad brings copies of whenever he goes to the restaurants, bring cop brings copies of the magazines and hands <laughs> But I mean, it's it's nice. He's nice, you know, uh, not not obnoxious, proud. He's just nice, proud. You know, they're very supportive. Often people who go to showbiz are sort of said that they're looking for attention and everything else. But being an only child, you wouldn't really need any attention. No, I just expected it. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it then? That uh, if it wasn't in the family, what was it that? You know, I love love dancing. I was, I had like kind of a 
a predisposition or have a talent for it, you know, but seemed to be pretty good at it pretty quickly. Didn't see a movie like Red Shoes or anything that got you. Uh... No, I I got physically taken to dance class, and I was very limber, and I could I was immediately my body could be done into all those stupid positions that you do in ballet. Yeah, an origami. Yeah, it's it's almost an origami of the limbs right. ballet. So um, when you are pretty good at something, you like to do it. It makes you want to do it more, and it's something you have to do when you're young because that's the best time when you're. In your late 30s or 40, your career is pretty much over when yeah. you're a dancer. So that's why you switched, isn't it? Why you decided yeah. you had to find something else to do. So, have you always been quite jokey and witty at home? Or? No, my father was witty, my mother was funny, and I was quiet. Right. And but I think I picked it up because they were. You know, my my father's very sarcastic and um, cynical. Yeah. He's he's a very cynical person. Which is funny. I think cynicism is hysterical. That's my favorite form of humor. Cynicism and anger are my two favorite forms of, right. of humor. Well, did they sort of overwhelm you with their humor, or was it just sort of a gentle thing which you... It's very understated. In fact, my dad always loved English movies. Alec Guinness movies, The Horse's right. Mouth, we always yeah. watched, and The Lavender Hill Mob. Right. We always found the movies on the Weird Channel. I mean, my, my father can't stand Bob Hope. Bob Hope was not allowed in our house, because... That's just the way he was, so that's the way I was raised, and we always loved anything Peter Sellers was in, you know, we'd, we'd see all those movies, mm. so... But the family's quite keen on humour then, comedy, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but right. no one did it professionally. When I first went into comedy, my dad said, can I try and write you some jokes? And I said, yes. <laughs> I said, Dad, you write very good letters, but I'm sorry you can't write it for my... <laughs> you know, it was very nice of yeah. him. And he is very funny, but writing a joke is a very specific art form. It would be, be me like, like me saying, I'll take over your law practice now, please, because, you know, I know I want to sue somebody. I, you have to know about it, so... Was he very disappointed? I think he's forgotten about it. I'm sorry I mentioned it. <laughs> he doesn't remember. It was very early on, yeah. and he wrote them down and sent them to me, and I very gently said, I'll try them. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, they're going to fit with my act. But he never mentioned it again. So. But um, what was it then that made you step from dancing into humor comedy? I know that's a very strange thing, and I think it was a lot of different things coming together at the same time, because... I was doing pretty well on Broadway. I was in my sixth Broadway show, and I had my own part. You know, I was in Annie, and I had a big part in Annie. And um, which part was it? Lily St. Regis, the one uh, Bernadette Peters did it in the movie. Right. I played Rooster's girlfriend, the dumb blonde singer dancer from Jersey Beach or wherever that was from. And it was fun, and I really enjoyed doing it. And I'd done Broadway for so long, and I'd done so many Broadway shows, and I really I loved it. I, mean, I loved the fact that I did all that. But I didn't want to keep doing it. I didn't want to sit in a in a little dressing room and do eight shows a week and audition for fewer and fewer shows every year. And I saw all of my friends working less and less and 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 getting harder for everyone to find jobs. And now it's almost impossible in New York. You know, I have really talented friends that hardly ever work. It's just getting so. younger and younger, isn't it? I mean, as as people get older, they get less chances. I don't know, because I was, I have to say, I was doing pretty well, and I was working sure. pretty steadily, but the idea of staying on Broadway didn't appeal to me. I wanted to get into television, and the only way I could figure out to get into television 
was to do something that not too many people were doing. And there were millions of singers and dancers and actresses, and there weren't, weren't any female comedians. There was one, there was Joan Rivers. She was the only successful female stand-up comedian at that point that, that I was aware of. Maybe there were more that I, I wasn't aware of them, but that's who was the main one. And I said, well, that would be a good area to go into then, because there aren't too many people. That was my only thought. It's easier said than done, isn't it? I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know the reason that there were so few women is that it was a very, very difficult thing to do. The first thing I did was try and buy material, because I didn't know how to write jokes. And I went down to the improv, and I asked one of the comedians how much material would cost. And he said, oh, about $3,000 for five minutes, and there's no guarantee it'll work. I said, well, I guess my next thing is I have to try and write material, don't I? So then I started listening to comedy records and going to the library and getting out books and going to the Museum of Broadcasting and looking at things and trying to figure it out. And I loved it. I love figuring out jokes. It's my favorite thing because uh, I'd never written anything before. And all of a sudden, I was writing what I was saying into the microphone and people were listening to it. It was like a real feeling of accomplishment because as a dancer you get told where to look on what count. As a singer you get told what note to sing and for how long and you're in a play and you say who you look at and what you're supposed to be feeling when you say that. And all of a sudden I just could do anything I wanted to do. And I, I did it for myself. So I just felt a tremendous feeling of accomplishment. So. But it's an awesome thing to take on, isn't it? I mean, but you say you didn't but really I was, realize But I didn't realize it. If mm. anyone realized how difficult anything was going to be, no one would get up in the morning. Right. You know, everything is eventually very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. But if you learn it step by step, then... Would you say, thanks to people like yourself, it's easier now? Uh, I don't know that I've paved any ways for anyone, but I think there are more and more comedians now. I don't know why all of a sudden they're... Like, I've been in it about like three years, I think about five years, because I've been doing it for ten years, and about my fifth year, there started to become this huge comedy boom in America. And all of a sudden, there were comedy clubs everywhere, and comedians who ever said, I want to be a comedian, was trying to be a comedian. And now there are four and a half thousand comedians, and how many comedy clubs? Four hundred and five hundred comedians. It's huge. It's a huge business. I didn't get into it because it was going to be huge. I got into it because I thought it was going to be small. Yeah, which it was at the time. Yeah, then it was. But it was was pretty tough for you to start with, wasn't it? Yeah, it's tough for everyone, though. Mm. I don't know of anyone that said, oh, this is easy. (laughs) You really have to want to do it. And you have to want to work really hard at it to be a, a good comedian, I think. But did you nearly give up at this stage? Or were you always... No, I didn't have anything else I could do, you no. know? I didn't want to go back. Yeah, I think dancers are pretty self-disciplined and self-motivated. Right. I didn't want to go back to school. I knew that because right. I wasn't good. I didn't like to sit down and have people tell me things. That, that just never was a good thing. I'd like to learn things by myself. That's just the way I was. But you could easily have gone back to Miami and stayed with your parents and just got married to somebody really wealthy and whatever, couldn't you? Oh, gosh, that never occurred to me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Only I'd done that. Martin, I could have done that. No, I, that was never on my mind. I, on my mind was always, I want to be a dancer on Broadway, and then I want to be a comedian. Would you say that's ambitious, or was it just maybe seeking satisfaction in some other way? I don't know why people do anything they do. It's yeah. a mystery. I don't know why. That's just what I loved. I loved Broadway. Yeah. And I was obsessed with Broadway, and then from there I became obsessed with comedy. And I don't know why. Could you ever see yourself going into a different... 
Yeah, I think I'm going to be. I'm getting obsessed now with writing movies. Right. So I, I see obsession coming on in that direction yeah. now. Because mm-hmm. you've written one already, haven't you? Two. We wrote two. two. Only one's being done so far, in, and that's in Australia in January. And then we wrote another movie that I'm in, that we're trying to get off the ground right. in America or England. But the movie in Australia, I'm not in. Can you tell us a little bit about the one in Australia? It's called Medium Rare, and it's about a producer who discovers a woman who can talk to the dead. Well, we didn't write the movie for me to be in, because the horrible economic truth of Hollywood is to get a movie made with a male comedy star is a lot easier than to get a movie made with a female comedy star, because men, they're the the people that, the, the money will back funny men in movies every time and they'll never back funny women in movies that's just the way hopefully it'll change slowly I mean there are I think there are really good female comedians but do you have any ambitions to be a movie star though or is it just I mean you say you want to be a movie writer I don't want to be a movie star I want to be I want to be in movies that I write that maybe are little funny movies with a certain perspective I don't see myself as an actress, actress. I mean, I think Meryl Streep's a brilliant actress. I think she can play lots of different parts and become the different people. And the whole. I, I see myself as a different sort of a, a person who can write little movies and be in them. But I don't think I'm ever going to, to fool anyone into thinking I'm someone else. Yeah. It sounds like the world's your oyster now. You could always branch off in any direction. But every direction is is difficult. I mean, the easiest thing is always to stay with what you're successful in and keep yeah. doing that. But that never seems to be what I want to do. So, so there's always going to be some resistance. But we're forging ahead. You're still ambitious to do more and go in different directions. So it's still you're still motivated. Yeah, that's the only way to keep myself interested. Mm. The one thing I mean, I know some people say, well, I should only do stand up because that's you know what I've been doing all these years and that's what people like to see me do and I love doing stand-up and I have no intention of not doing it but it's not satisfying for me to just do that I want to try other things I want to see what else I can do too is it a case of being there got the t-shirt I guess it's that's life you know once you got something you want something else yeah otherwise it just becomes I want to be funny in different ways not just not just doing stand-up how did the two of you meet Martin was looking for some comedians to put on at the Edinburgh Festival. And he and his partner came to New York and found me and hired me to well, be... Well, what were you doing at the time? You I was a comedian at Catch Rising Star, right. just like at the showcase club going on, you know, once, twice a week, trying out my new jokes. Trying how to many years ago was this? 1984, 1984. So is it Martin who really introduced you over here? And, uh, at the Edinburgh Festival, yeah. Yeah, but we didn't get together until about three years ago when Martin had moved to Australia. You mean romance? Yeah. No, because he had a girlfriend and I had a boyfriend. We were just working together till then. When did you get married? Two years ago in California. So the immigration people wouldn't come and take him away. <laughs> his, his visitor's visa was about to go. He said, oh dear, we better get married. So we got married. How did you feel? Marrying an Englishman, was that quite a big thing for you, or you just... I never thought about it. I mean, I was thrilled that we were getting along, <laughs> and the fact... I mean, I I thought it was great. I, I wasn't getting along very well with many American men. <laughs> I said, 
This is very good. We, we got along right away. We were real good friends before we even got involved together. So I was a little bit concerned about the fact that he was living in Australia, about how we were ever going to live in the same country. That disturbed me a little bit. But, but he said, we'll figure it out, and we figured it out. But you have your own company now together, don't you? Yeah. You've got two. Yeah, I'm a little company by myself, and then we're a company together. I don't understand companies. Martin does the companies. They're still a mystery to me. We just do, uh, I guess, one is co-produced the HBO special that we did and the pilot that we did, and it's going to do the movie that we're doing in Australia. That's a terrible thing to say, but I'm not good with companies. I'm better at writing jokes. Do you find a lot of people are quite scared of you because of your humor and because you're a comedian and everything else? Or? No, no one's ever been afraid of me. I said I babysat yeah. once and the kids made me go to sleep at 8 o'clock. <laughs> I, never have that, I never have that problem. I've never intimidated anyone. I've tried. It doesn't yeah. work. But do you deliberately go out of your way to make your material as harmless as possible and, and sort of as unmalicious as possible? Well, when, you're, when you start out in comedy, you write lots of different jokes and lots of different styles just to find out what it is that you're comfortable doing and what it is that the audience is comfortable hearing from you. Like, I have a view on life that is different from other people's. So I just try and keep in tune with that view. And the minute I stray out of it, the audience will tell me, and they won't like it, and they won't, you know, so then I won't say it. I never said it again. So the audi- I let the audience kind of direct the show. I still, as much as I've studied humor and as many books as I've read and movies I've watched, I still don't know if anything is funny until I do it in front of an audience. And I'm never one of those comedians who says, when an audience doesn't laugh, you know, they do this awful gesture where they go, like it went over the audience's head. I hate that. I think that's such a cop-out because my attitude's always been, an audience is paying to come see me and I, uh, my responsibility is to entertain the audience so that's the way I've always structured my act is if the audience laughed it, I left it in and if they didn't I didn't t- say it again so. the other thing which comedians are often say people expect them to be funny all the time mm. to find that a pressure on you uh, they, they can expect that and I can usually make them laugh right. by saying something very very quickly even if I say if you pay me, I'll be funny. I mean, <laughs> I can say that and they'll laugh. Oh, good, she said something funny. But people don't usually expect that of me. Maybe people have stopped doing that a little bit, thinking that you're going to be hysterical off stage all the time. I think a couple of years ago people did that more, and that was again when people said, when heckling was in fashion, when people said, oh, I'm going to heckle you because I'm trying to help you with your act and helping you be funny. That's kind of gone by the wayside too. What are the major differences between the way people approach you in the street, say, in America, and over here. Is there really much difference, I get very polite people, because that's what I always find funny in both America and England. When people come up to me on the street, they're so polite. It's they excuse me, we didn't mean to bother you, but do you think that... Like, I never get rude people who come up and go, it's you, it's you, give me your... You know, even in America, I remember I was sitting, having a drink at, at this hotel. I sit there at sometimes writing jokes, you know, and I was having mineral water, whatever it is, because I can't ever drink before a show because I, I have to remember my act. And they had, coincidentally, they were going to be at the show that I was going to do later, and they were so nice. They said, 
could we give you a lift to the show? <laughs> I mean, they were, they're always so polite. I don't know. I've never had... One time somebody came up to me and said, my wife really likes you, I prefer Buddy Hackett. But that was, he thought he was really saying something nice. Yeah. He, in fact, he ran across like three lanes of oncoming traffic to get to me to tell me <laughs> he preferred Buddy. But do you find people try and be funny with you? That's the biggest problem, mm. when they try and tell me jokes. Because yeah, Victoria Wood said to me that was mm. a real problem. She said, you, especially the men, she said. Well, yes, they love it. Yeah. They, that's what they try and do. More than yeah. they say, you be funny, they say, I've got this joke that yeah. I have to tell you. And I very politely say, because I don't laugh at jokes, right. because I figure them out and I go, oh, that's why, that's funny, and that's why. Yeah. I laugh at life, but I don't <laughs> laugh at jokes. And I tell them beforehand and I say, please don't do it. It's not going to be fun for you. It's not going to be fun for me. No one is going to enjoy this experience if you tell me this joke. And they insist a lot of times. They go, no, but you can use it in your act. Yes, but I don't really use jokes in my act. I use like things that yeah. I think up, and then they can insist on telling me, and I go, I don't get it. And then they walk away and they hate me. So mm. it's better if, if no one tells me, tells me jokes. Where does most of your observations or humor come from? Is it just anything and everything? Or are you I studying just, people all the time? I study, yeah, I study you everything. You get paranoid about that, don't they kind of think? Uh, yeah, yeah. Once when I was dating someone, he noticed a new joke in my act, and I was saying, I don't even call them dates anymore. I call them what they are, hopeless acts of desperation. <laughs> and he said, that uh, hopeless act of desperation joke, that's new, isn't it? <laughs> I said, oops. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah. Everything that goes on in my life gets into my act. This is where you get your jokes. You're saying that you say somebody tells you a joke, you would, rather than burst out laughing, you would analyze it. Yeah. It seems to me that um, you've taken a very um, intellectual approach towards humor. Rather than some people, you imagine most comedians to be natural, uh, always being funny all their lives, but you yeah. seem to have studied it and worked at it. Rather like a. Most comedians do. Every even I was reading an article with Victoria Wood about how yeah. she learned how to be funny, and it's yeah. you you really have to work at it because I can't just base my life on showing up and being able to wing it. I've got to be funny at eight o'clock to ten o'clock every single night, so I have to know what I'm doing. And everyone who's funny has worked very hard at it, whether they tell you they've worked hard at it or not. If they're very good, they've worked hard at it. I think what you know, people always sympathize as far as comedians. I mean, even if you've had a terrible day, you still have to be funny. Yeah, it really. That's what work's all about, isn't it? Yeah, it. and also I have to say, even when I had really terrible days and I didn't like, because I was still auditioning for shows, you know, when I was doing comedy in New York and TV shows and commercials, and and I'd gotten rejected and I didn't get this job or that job and I didn't really want to do my act that night. And I'd go and I'd do my act, and it would make me feel much better. To go up and make people laugh for an hour or two hours is really great fun. And I remember people saying, it must be awful being a comedian and getting heckled and people throwing things at you and not laughing. And I said, if, it would, if that's what it was like, I wouldn't be doing it. It's not like that. You get up, and it's hard at first because you... You have to find out your style and how, what a joke is and how to write and what put together an act. But I have a great time whenever I do my act. You mentioned throughout uh, various other comedians, comedians. Who would you say are your biggest influences, or do you not? Woody Allen. Mm, I love Woody Allen. And when I was first starting, I found his uh, record, Woody Allen, The Stand-Up Years. 
and it's still timeless comedy. I mean, it's like it, he could do that today, and there's not one joke that wouldn't be totally in sync with today's lifestyle. That's why I early on, early on, I decided I wasn't going to do political humor because it dates so badly, and you know, I really want an act that I can do in different places, in different countries, for people who have different beliefs, you know, and different poli you know, ways of thinking along political lines. And I just said uh, it's better to stay away from that and just do life. Have you met Woody Allen? No, no. I don't... Do you know who you are, do you think? Probably not. I don't know. He doesn't watch television. Mm -hmm. I know that. But I don't really have any desire. I mean, I really like his work. I love his movies. I, yeah, I love reading his screenplays. I've got them. But if he... You know, ever cast me in a movie? I'd love to be in the movie, obviously. Mm. I don't really want to meet him, though. How much of your life is your career now, and how much is? Well, well the the wonderful thing is, I married someone who we have the same ambitions. So basically, we like to do the same things. When on our off time, we like to go to movies and figure them out, mm. and we like to write screenplays, and we like to see who's the latest big comedian at the clubs and go see them. Mm. We have similar interests, so. Our life is basically based on what we do for a living, but we both enjoy it. Who would you pay to see now, comedian-wise? Who, who do you both find very funny of? Well, our favorite news... Well, he's not new, he's been doing it for a while. Albert Brooks, is right. he's a very funny... Well, he was an act, comedic actor. Yeah, and he writes he his own movies, and he was an ex-stand-up comedian. Right. We love his movies. As far as stand-up comedians, I have to say because I do it for a living so often, I don't go out to see many stand-up comedians. I'd rather see movies because that's what I want to do. I want to write. I don't know about America, but over here, comedians tend to get categorized as either alternative I know, or I know. And, and it would appear that you've gone from the alternative category to the mainstream category by, by going on BBC One doing this series. I mean, how Oh, it's on BBC Two? BBC Two. Yeah. Well, well, it's still yeah. I don't um, understand the difference. I mean, right. I because I'm American, that's one thing I don't get. We don't have right. alternative and right. mainstream. Right. We have in show business and yeah, not in show funny business. Funny enough, <laughs> <laughs> senile. <laughs> and yeah, we don't we don't have that. It's like I don't do lots of game shows in America. There's a different style of comedian who does anything so people will throw at him. Yeah. yeah, and so I don't do that. But that sort of gives you a bit more longevity, doesn't it? A bit more credibility. Well, I don't enjoy doing it. I did one game show once because they offered me a nice sum of money and I wasn't doing anything that day. And I said, I'll try it. And they taped five in one go, in one yeah. day, because that's the way they did it. Yeah. And I was so horrible at it and I was so... I've never smiled that long. Yeah. I couldn't... And I wasn't happy. And I... Because I'm, I'm not really... I don't say anything happy and I just kept... I was funny, but I kept insulting everyone the whole time, saying, sit down and, and behave yourself. Yeah. Don't scream. There's nothing to scream about. You haven't even won anything. Was that the price is right, then? Is it? No, it was win, lose, or draw. Oh, win, right, lose, yeah. or draw. This yeah. And I kept telling the contestants to calm down because they were giving me a headache. <laughs> and the producers didn't appreciate that because they keep encouraging them to scream. <laughs> yes, I got the lowest score of anyone who's ever been on television. I know. <laughs> and... It didn't suit my personality, and I was upset that I'd done it afterwards, and I had a headache for days, and I said, that's the end. That's never again will I ever do anything like that. Obviously, you know, the two of you are in the business. When you're away from it, the two of you, what do you like to do? Think of new plot lines. Oh, no. 
<laughs> must be something you do away from showbiz. Play tennis? Do you like showbiz? Are you into showbiz then? Are you sort of I like parties and things? No, no, we never do anything. We never go to... We open the door to let the delivery man give us the food and then we close the door again. <laughs> we never go to any parties and we never socialize. We have like three friends that I've known forever from New York that we see occasionally. And um, no, we're not into show... We, we like the, the right... The, the creative part of the business and we don't like the social part which is a real big handicap in Hollywood because we can't be bothered to go to any openings and even my last this last award show where I, I won this award I didn't go because I, I just I couldn't get all dressed up and sit there all night and if I won I figured they'd call me and I did and they sent the award over and we opened the door I said is this Chinese food they said no it's an award I said well I'll take it because you know you live there and it's so the award shows eventually get so stupid they'll give you they'll just invent any reason to give you the, the best celebrity whose air conditioner is broken the most times this year here here's your award I don't know what they make up these things do you anticipate a day one day you will give the whole thing up and just settle down and have a family never no I don't see that really? ever, no. do you think you want to have a family no I don't think so might have a child but I don't know if I'll have a family <laughs> Just, just one child, and one child. maybe. Do you think that's because you're an only child? And he's an only child. So we're not used to anyone else being around. No. So if we have a child, it has to pay attention to us. <laughs> that's the deal. Because yeah. we're both used to lots of attention. Mm. Are there any uh, personal ambitions, though? Or pressure, writing a movie. Writing a funny movie, writing funny scenes and funny characters and constructing it in a way that makes me proud that we did it. I hope the show's successful. I'd love to do, you know, some more shows, if they are, mm -hmm. and get them better and better. That's, that's about it. Yeah, the, the thing that we did with this show is that it's the first time we've written a show together, and it's the first time I've ever performed in any sketches and stuff. So I think as the shows go along, we've found the style that gets, you know, that we settle into a little bit more each show. But it, it was... You know, it was a big experiment that the BBC was nice enough to encourage us to do and help us do it. So I want to get, I want to write funny, funnier sketches and be, be funnier, I guess. Do you live in London when you're over here? Is it, or yeah. So what, what are your thoughts on London? What do you make of it? Well, I'm a city person, so I love cities, and I lived in New York for 10 years, and I love New York, and I, London is kind of like New York without the snipers. I love living here because, you know, we walk all hours of the night, and we don't, you don't worry about imminent death all the time, the way you worry about it in New York. And in Los Angeles, we can't walk anywhere because we live on a cliff, you know, and we, we, I'd go for a plunge, you know, I wouldn't go for a walk. So it's... I love the fact that we walk every place. I love the fact that there's a sense of history here. I mean, the one thing that's very depressing about L.A. is there's just nothing old. Martin and every once in a while, Martin says, I just have this hanger. I want to see, let's, let's find an, something old to go see. And, you know, the only thing I could do is try and find George Burns's number. Gavor's <laughs> <laughs> address. I mean, the buildings are built to last for 10 minutes, and everything is, is pretty ugly. So it, I don't, I don't like the, I, I hate the architecture. There is no architecture. L.A. architecture is build your dream house next to somebody else's dream house. So you've got like a French castle and a Swedish chalet, Swedish chalet, which is no such thing, but they've invented it for this particular block, you know, next to these modern horror stories. It's so ugly.
LA, then Australia. LA, then this, and I've got to do the special, the publicity for the special, and then It'll Australia. Oh, yeah, oh dear. Well, Chevy Chase, we do a thing in America called roasting a celebrity, and that is a celebrity goes to an event, and this is, in this case, it's being done for charity, and he invites lots of people that he likes to say terrible things about him in public. So you say, you know, Chevy Chase has started his film career in Under the Rainbow and ended in whatever it is. You say terrible things. Well, he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was very flattered, you know, because I'd met him once when we were on the Letterman show together and he was very nice and I, that must mean he thinks I'm funny. So I said, yes, you know, even though it's a little daunting because I have to say kind of semi-rude things about Chevy Chase that are funny. So it's scary. And then I got the guest list the other day about who else is doing it. And it's Robert De Niro, Clint Eastwood, Neil Simon, Paul Newman. Yeah, all these, like, uh, he, and, and me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the only woman. So, and that's in, on October 18th or 17th in yeah, New yeah. York. Yeah. And it's in this big ballroom that yeah. they've rented because they've, they've sold so many tickets they had to put it in this huge place. You're going to be nervous. I'm nervous now. <laughs> uh, Martin's, Martin, is, Martin has reached a new peak <coughs> in nervousness. Whenever I'm on TV, he watches from the bathroom because he gets more nervous than I do. Whenever I do the Carson show in, in Los Angeles, now he doesn't even come with me because he just he paces and he just gets crazy and he just stays home. Well, the night before I did my HBO special, he woke up in a, in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. He sat up real fast. I said, what's the matter? And he said, I forgot my act. <laughs> I said, you're not doing your act. He said, oh, it's you. That's right. <laughs> so he, that's how nervous he gets. And I don't get the nervous because I think the worst thing that can happen is that somebody doesn't laugh. So it's not that bad. I mean, it's not like if you're a surgeon and if you make a mistake, someone dies. I don't see what's so terrible that might happen. Live television is a bit more frightening though than, than uh, television that you can do another take. <laughs> what's the worst though? What's the worst it's been? I have like memories from when I was, you know, starting out. When I was starting out and I would like go to clubs where you had to buy a drink and then they'd let you perform and I'd have to wait till two in the morning and this one one place it was the middle of winter and I had to like set the alarm for midnight to get up and take a bus down to Third Avenue and wherever it was, it was called Good Times restaurant and there was an obscene ventriloquist on before me about 2.30 in the morning and he emptied the room he was so bad you know doing all his lovely splinter jokes and things that obscene ventriloquists will do and I had set my alarm and I'd waited you know so long and I just decided to do my jokes to empty tables while the waitresses were clearing out the <laughs> clearing out the drinks I said well you can't get much lower than this can you I better keep doing it it'll get better so I guess that was it but I still had fun I have to say it amused me that I was following an obscene ventriloquist at 2.30 in the morning telling jokes to waitresses and I was actually making them laugh and then there's the Hell's Angels one when they, they booked me in a club when the second act was all Hell's Angels and I had no jokes that specifically pertained to them, yeah. you know, so that, was, that was, yeah, that was, but, I, but even they didn't hate me, you know, and they really could have hated me and they tried, you know, 
they tried to like me, even though they really didn't find me funny at all. So no one was ever really rude or mean. I did a benefit once uh, recently for a shelter for battered women, and I went to this place, and I drove there, and it was in a tent in the middle of the summer, and they'd been there for five hours with nothing to eat or drink. And the problem was the sound system and the lights couldn't be on at the same time. <laughs> so you had to choose, you know, between the sound and the lights. And I got on and they turned on the lights and the mic fed back and they turned, you know, up the mic and the lights went off. So I just went, ladies and gentlemen, good night. You know, there was nothing, there was nothing I could do. And I said, luckily, I'm on, I was on the Carson show later that night. I said, if you'd like to see my act, I'm on later. I hope you raised a lot of money. Bye. And Martin and I got in the car and we drove home real fast.